You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Episode 649 of the podcast. This week, America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Monday. January 9th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a jam-packed Monday episode of the Aratora Sports Podcast. And you already know where I'm going to lead. Monday night, National Championship Game, SoFi Stadium. I will be there. TCU, Georgia. Going to make my personal preview and my personal pick on the game. Then from there, how about this? You talk about AT booking some A-plus, A-list guests. How about a, a double A-A-Ron? Aaron Torres, Aaron Murray. How about that? Aaron Murray, Georgia legend, will join me to preview this game. You could probably guess where he's leading in this game, but at the same time, Aaron Murray will join me. So we'll start. I will talk about the game, make my pick. We'll go to Aaron Murray. Then we'll wrap on some college hoops. So Alabama, big win. I actually think it says more about Alabama I think you can make the case they might be the best team in college basketball. We will do that. Hit on some other odds and ends from the weekend. And then, of course, there is the flip side of the Alabama game, which is Kentucky. I'll tell you this. I called around on the John Calipari Texas rumors. I think there might be a little more bite than bark. Like, like I thought it was all bark, no bite. There might be some bite on this one. We got to discuss that to wrap the show. Jam-packed Monday show, Aaron Torres pod. Before we get started, a couple quick announcements. One. As I said, I'll be at the title game. This week's schedule is going to be a little bit different, okay? I will record a show post-Monday night, post-title game, either at SoFi Stadium, at the team hotel, whatever. The bottom line is you will have a reaction show on Tuesday to this title game, and then from there we'll at least do one show later in the week, potentially two. I think it depends on my schedule. depends on what happens. You know, there's a possibility Jim Harbaugh could take an NFL job, something in college hoops. I don't know. But I only bring it up to very simply say that the schedule is a little bit fluid this week. Uh, Definitely Monday, definitely a Tuesday show, and we will play it by ear from there. So stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed so you get the newest episodes delivered straight to your phone. And finally, before we get started, I want to thank my presenting sponsor, 
Betfred Sportsbook, and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the UK, been around for decades now, the most respected sportsbook overseas in the UK, 1,600 shops there. They have come to the United States and made a major splash, right? Not only the presenting sponsor of Aaron Torres Media and the Aaron Torres Pod, but also the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's why I love working with Bedfred. They do more for their customers than any sport. All the sports books say we care about our customers. Betfred does it. Last week, Ohio launch of sports betting, January 1, January uh, December 20, 30, 31st into January 1. Betfred was on the ground in Cincinnati helping fans make bets at the stroke of midnight. They had an all-day party at Folling Warehouse. Wish I could have attended. Unfortunately, Southwest ruined everything. But they take care of their customers, and this is what they're doing for you tonight in the lead-up to the national championship game. Go to the Betfred Sportsbook, download the app, you can bet $50 on either side in tonight's title game, Georgia or TCU, and you automatically get 250 in free bets. Of course, you have to be in a state with Betfred Sportsbook, with legal sports betting, but first-time users bet 50, get 250, courtesy of Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. Thank you again to Betfred for your support. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll tell you this, outside of the day of Selection Sunday or the day the four-team college football playoff is announced, I don't think you got to guess where I'm starting today's show. It is tonight, Monday night. We got ourselves a little bit of a natty. One team will be the 2022, now 2023 national champion as Georgia faces TCU SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Georgia is a 13-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. Interesting. They opened as a two-touchdown favorite. It got bet down to Georgia minus 12 and a half. Now back up to Georgia 13. They are a 13-point favorite. The over-under in this game set for 63 and a half. And so when I think about this game, let's talk about it. Let's hit it from all angles like we always do, baby. That sounded inappropriate, but neither here nor there. Uh, when I think about this game, I, I, I will say this. I will say that on New Year's Eve into New Year's Day, December 31st into January 1st, when we found out that this was going to be the matchup, TCU beats Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. Obviously, Georgia beats Ohio State in that thriller. Like so many of you, I, my reaction was very similar. My reaction was, Oh boy, Georgia in a second straight national title against TCU, the little engine that could. Oh, it's going to be a bloodbath. That was my thought. That was my initial reaction. But I will tell you, the more that I've thought about this game, the more that I've kind of just gone through everything that could happen and should happen, and more importantly, what we actually know about these teams versus what you think you know about them, I'll be honest. I think this game is close. I think it's competitive maybe a little bit more high scoring than you think. But I think we're going to get a good football game on Monday night. And why I think we're going to get a fo good football game is pretty straightforward. It is because the Georgia that you think you know isn't the actual Georgia that has been on the field the last couple of weeks, certainly since about the middle of the season in college football. Doesn't mean they're bad. Doesn't mean they're overrated. Doesn't mean they're going to lose. That is not what I just said. What I just said, though, was that Georgia is different than you think they are, and because of the difference in who they are versus who they're perceived to be, that's where I can see 
this game being fun and competitive. And so when I say who Georgia is, what they're about, I think a lot of you are probably sitting there saying, Torres, what does that even mean? Well, when you think Georgia, so what I want you to do. I've said it before. I want you to close your eyes like the movie A Time to Kill. Close your eyes. And I want you to picture when you think Georgia football, what comes to mind? You think tough and physical, and they've got that really limited little quarterback that isn't very good, but golly, the other team sure team, the other teammates sure seem to like him. But it's about defense and it's about the run game. And it's about let, not letting the quarterback make mistakes. And that's how they're going to win on Monday night. Just one problem. That really isn't who they've been all year. And so let's start with the Georgia offense, which will obviously be going up against a Georgia, uh, a TCU defense, which does give up big plays from time to time. They are not great statistically. They do force a lot of turnovers. But like I said, when you think of that Georgia offense, you think of what we've seen for most of the tenure of Kirby Smart. Tough, physical line of scrimmage football. You think of Sony Michelle. You think of... Nick Chubb back in the day, Kirby Smart's first couple years. Then you think about the more modern team. Uh, last year, Zeus White, of course, was their star running back. They had two really good running backs, James Cook, Dalvin Cook's brother. Well, that's not really who Georgia is this year. As a matter of fact, would you believe this if I told you? If I said to you, I said, hey, John or Mike or Jenny or Sarah or Eugene or Ed, who are the top passing teams in the SEC this year. If I just said it to you, don't look it up. Don't Google it. If I just said to you, who are the top passing teams in the SEC this year? What would you say? You'd probably say Tennessee number one. You, sir or ma'am, would be correct. Tennessee was the number one passing team in college in the SEC this year. Then you would probably say, eh, probably Mississippi State. Obviously, tragedy with Mike Leach over the last couple weeks. But during the regular season, they threw the ball all over the field. Then after that, you'd probably sit there and say, eh, I don't know. Is it is it Ole Miss? Maybe Ole Miss. Is it Bama with Bryce Young? Maybe it's Bama with Bryce Young. Is it uh, LSU with Jaden Daniels? They seem to throw the ball a lot. The number three passing offense in the SEC and top 15 nationally, it was your Georgia Bulldogs. It was the Georgia Bulldogs, the ones that we're talking about. The same team with the quarterback Stetson Bennett that everybody, including myself, I'm not going to try to pretend this didn't happen. The same team that everybody going into the title game last year wanted their quarterback benched. That quarterback right now is one of the top passers in the SEC, and they have one of the top passing offenses in college football. And why I think that's important is this, is that Georgia is not in this position if it's not for Stetson Bennett. This isn't about... Uh, the run game and the defense, and, they, and they've been good. They haven't been great, but they've been good. The reason Georgia is here today, right now, playing for this title is two words. It is Stetson Bennett. If Stetson Bennett does not do what he did in the semifinal against Ohio State, Georgia is watching this game at home just like you and I. In that semifinal, remember, Georgia had 18 fourth quarter points. Georgia at one point trailed going into the fourth quarter. Let's do some quick math here. They trailed 38 to 24. They trailed by 14 points going into the fourth quarter, needed 18 points in the fourth quarter. That's two touchdowns, two point conversion. Also, uh, you know, some other points here and there. Point being, they needed 18 points to win that game. They get the 18 points thanks to Stetson Bennett in that game. 
398 yards passing, three touchdowns, one interception. Georgia isn't in this game without Stetson Bennett, but here's the crazy part. That's basically who he's been all year. How about the SEC title game? Remember that one? Played LSU, fun game. Georgia puts up 50 points. Stetson Bennett in that game. Almost 300 yards passing, four touchdowns, no interceptions. So in the two biggest games of this season, Stetson Bennett, how about this? Almost 700 yards passing, seven touchdowns, one interception. He is the reason that they are in this game. And it's worth noting, it's not as though these are the only good games that he played. Remember, early in the year against Oregon, 370 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, on top of that, over 300 yards passing against Mizzou, over 300 yards passing against Florida. Stetson Bennett is the reason that they're in this game. Now, they still run the ball well, but that pass game is where Georgia has made their hay. So that's on Georgia on offense. Here's the thing about Georgia on defense, though. I think we all think of that Georgia defense. I think we think of last year, historically great, everything that they did. Well, this Georgia defense is still elite, but it ain't last year's team. And by the way, it shouldn't be last year's team, right? It shouldn't be. Think about last year. They lost five first-round picks off of that defense. Five first-round picks off one defense had never been done before, and that didn't even include N'Kobe Dean, who was probably their best defensive player. So it's impossible for them to be as good, and they have not been as good. And again, let's just go back to the two biggest games of their season. Last week against Ohio State, played the Buckeyes. It was a fun game. As we just said, 41 points allowed in that game. And then on top of the 41 points allowed, almost 500 yards of total offense for Ohio State. And then this is the one that I think is interesting that it feels like nobody is talking about. The SEC title game, Georgia gave up 549 yards of total offense and 30 points. Now, again, LSU is a good team. It happens. Sometimes you give up big plays. But this is not the same defense from last year. And part of it is exactly what I just said. It is the big play element of this. I, I, I looked this up and I was blown away. Okay. So we know that TCU wants to, to create big plays. That's where a lot of their offense comes. Did you know that on the season, Georgia, and this might sound crazy, it might not. They've given up 25 plays of 30 plus yards. Now, relatively speaking, that's not a lot. I know some of you are fans of other teams that say my, my team gives up one big play after the other. That's not that surprising. But for Georgia, and I know they also played the extra game and all that stuff. I get all that. But 30, 30 plays, as I said, um, they've given up. What, what was the stat again? I'm tripping over my own words here. 25 plays of 30 plus yards that that defense has given up this year. Um, and I think that's important against this TCU defense. Now you go back to last year. Georgia was much better against big plays, but specifically this TCU offense, Georgia giving up big plays could be a concern. By the way, this, this stat kind of blew me away too. In the Ohio State game, Ohio State had seven plays of 20 yards or more against Georgia. That feels unheard of. And they also had two plays of 19 yards. So basically, they had nine plays that were essentially 20-plus yards in that game. So you can make big plays on this defense. Why is that important? That is how TCU lives. That is how they make their hay. They're not great when they have to sustain. A, they're not Michigan, right? They don't have 
14-play, 94-yard drives that chew up 11 minutes and 41 seconds off the clock. Okay, that's not who they are. TCU is a big play offense that relies on big plays, and I think they're going to be able to get them against this Georgia team. Now, is it enough? I don't know. But to go back to the semifinals, TCU in that game, TCU actually was very successful creating big plays against Michigan, and that's why they won. I think it's a stat that a lot of people know, but Michigan actually outgained TCU. But TCU had a bunch of big plays. They forced turnovers. There was the weird play at the goal line. We all know what happened. But it was the big plays that won TCU that game. Remember, TCU was up 21-6 to going into halftime. They ended up scoring four second-half touchdowns, okay? One was a pick six. But outside of that, the three other touchdowns, they had one play of at least 40 yards. And so to me, that is why I think this game is going to be competitive. TCU's defense is good, but statistically, they give up a lot of yards. And part of it is they play fast, they score a lot, their defense is on the field a lot. I think Georgia's going to be able to move the ball with Stetson Bennett. But I also think that TCU's going to have more success moving the ball against Georgia than people give them credit for. Do you think TCU's is going to get punked at the line of scrimmage and it's going to be 31-7 to midway through the second? Maybe I'm wrong. It's happened before, it'll happen again. We do a segment called where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I don't think this is that game. So in terms of the final score, I'll be blunt. I do think Georgia wins this game, but I think it's a little bit higher scoring than most people think, and I think it's a little bit closer than most people think. Give me Georgia 41, TCU 31, TCU making those big plays to keep things close, Georgia pulling away late. Really quickly, just a couple other thoughts on this game before we toss it over to Aaron Murray. One, I will say this. I think this is going to be a very interesting inflection point about the conversation on the expanded college football playoff. And let me explain why. If you listen to this show, you know, I'm I'm not somebody that really feels like we need an expanded college football playoff. At this point, we're getting it. So I'm just kind of over it. Like, I'm not going to complain about something that is inevitable. I mean, I could complain about death. We're all going to die at some point, right? You don't want to hear me just, oh my God, death is the worst. Why is it here? It's like, well, it's going to happen, so deal with it. It's kind of the same thing with a 12-team college football playoff, although I'm not comparing college football playoff to death. But the point I'm trying to make is it's coming. There's nothing we can do about it. Whatever. But why I bring it up, the reason I've been anti-college football playoff expansion is for two reasons. I don't believe we are leaving out teams that are good enough to win the championship, and it's because I don't believe that most teams outside of about three or four a year are built to win a bunch of big games against good, physical, tough teams in back-to-back-to-back weeks, right? And so you think about it, the reason why is simple. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, there's a few schools. Maybe Michigan wouldn't even be in there. But there's about six or seven schools that just recruited a different level. And even in the transfer portal era, they have more depth and more talent across the board than everybody else. And so why I bring that up, is because my that's been my argument against the college football playoff expanding forever. Find me the team that we're not letting in that can beat Georgia and Clemson in back-to-back weeks. Georgia and LSU. LSU and Clemson. Georgia and Alabama. Whoever are the teams. Remember last year, we saw it in the playoff. Cincinnati, everybody wanted them in, including me. Then they got on the field with Alabama. Alabama stuffed it down their throat and they had no chance. So that's why I think this game is important for the college football playoff expansion conversation. If TCU gets punked in this game, 
I think that's a bad sign for what is to come in the expanded college football playoff. If they played a tough physical game against Michigan and a week later they just don't have the physicality, they took too many body blows, that's probably a bad sign for all of the 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 seven, eight, nine, ten seeds that are now going to have to win four games in the college football playoff and go through a Georgia, a Clemson, a Ohio State, all back to back to back to back to back. But if TCU wins this game, I do think, and we'll discuss this on Tuesday if it happens, we might have to revisit kind of how we talk about the college football playoff, and maybe part of it is in this transfer portal era Maybe teams like Alabama and Georgia just don't have the depth that they once did. Maybe you can be a TCU, an Oklahoma State, um, whoever, a second-tier team that wouldn't normally be in the hunt. Maybe they're good enough to win it. I think that'll be an interesting conversation we can have on Monday. I think we're definitely going to be talking potentially Stetson Bennett. If he wins this game, back-to-back national titles, the only quarterback in college football history to win back-to-back play uh, four-team playoffs, remember, No team has won the playoff in back-to-back years. They won BCS national championships, but not the the college football playoff. I think the TCU story will be incredible if they pull it out. So we'll have a lot to talk about on on Tuesday's show. That, again, I'll record that either live from SoFi Stadium or live from uh, the team hotel. But I am really excited to get over there, really excited to watch this game. My official pick, TCU 41 uh, or uh, excuse me, Georgia 41, TCU 31. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. When I come back, how about this? We will continue the college football playoff conversation, the college football title game conversation. No better person to do it with. Literally, Aaron Murray, former Georgia Bulldog legend. He joins me next to discuss this playoff. It's a really fun interview. You guys and girls are going to enjoy it. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. All right, joining me via Zoom uh, goes without saying national championship game Monday. TCU, Georgia, I think we're all excited about it. And here, I mean, there's literally probably not a better person to talk about this game, about the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, Georgia, at legend, I don't I don't know if it's a too soon, legend, Aaron Murray, of course, you hear him on Sirius, the volume, ESPN. 
here on behalf of Twisted T. But Aaron, what's going on, man? How you doing? Man, doing doing really well. Excited for this this weekend. Excited for Monday, and uh, the opportunity to win back to back. As we know, has never happened this playoff era, and you know, as it happened since Alabama when I played. So, uh, yes, you I get somewhat legend. I think when you start growing gray hairs, you start yeah. getting into that legend category, uh, and especially when the, the 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 players on the current roster, when I see them say uh mr murray or sir and i'm like damn and like am i that old i asked my wife like am i that old that they should be calling me sir and mr murray but um i guess it's just the way do it you is. get it i i'm a dog fan because i grew up a dog fan because of you do you get that yes. a lot from the current guys i get i get that a lot especially like the all actually all of them i mean even like stetson like um stetson obviously was a big big you know fan of Georgia growing up and you know he we, we talk about games that I played in that he watched and you know he was even at one of my camps that I put on after college oh, wow. when I was in the league and he was at one of my quarterback camps so uh, it's just crazy to see like you know the kid was you know still not the biggest kid in the world but like down here at my camps hanging out having a good time and uh, now the starting quarterback about to win his second national championship so Man, I'm old. Thanks for uh, for starting the interview off, making me feel even older than I am. I'm kidding. Well, first of all, you know Stetson's probably like a year or two younger than you, top. So, like <laughs> when he started talking about after the game against Ohio State, yeah, I don't know if this was better than Oklahoma against Baker Mayfield, and you realize he was on the field, not literally on the field, but he was on yeah. the roster for. You're like, goodness, this guy's been around college football. But let me actually ask you, start there, like. What is so we all have the outside perception of Stetson Bennett, which has kind of continued to evolve. And now I think we all just think of him as a big game quarterback. This is what he does. Mm-hmm. How wild is it for you as somebody who obviously both around the program, but you obviously have some sort of personal relationship with him where like you just kind of referenced it like he could. I mean, it isn't hyperbole to say he could go down as one of at least the greatest winners in the history of college football, if just not one of the great quarterbacks, uh, period. It, obviously, if you get the win on Monday night. Well, I think he's the best quarterback in Georgia history. You know, I've I've, I've had this conversation a lot with, you know, former quarterbacks at Georgia and just other other you know media members and, and people that played at Georgia or covered Georgia. And, and, and obviously I'm, I'm a kid from Florida. So like my history of watching Georgia football really started like in 07 when Georgia faced Hawaii and that was Stafford. So a lot of people always bring up Stafford, like, no, 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 no. Stafford's the most gifted or no Aaron, it's you because you, you know, own X records. I'm like the quarterback spot, obviously similar to a pitcher you know, we get judged off wins and losses. We get judged off championships and, and, you know, Stafford by far is, is the most gifted quarterback Georgia's ever had. Maybe one of the most gifted quarterbacks like of all time. I mean, he's just unbelievable. One of the best in the, in the world right now. Um, you know, obviously I, I have the, the stats. I, I was lucky enough to play for four years, which helps a ton. And, and then, you know, uh, Stetson has the championships, you know, one natty, one sec and about to be two natties. I, I guarantee if you ask Stafford, um, what would he rather be known for? He'd probably know, rather be known for championships. And I would gladly trade all my stats in order to, to have a national championship ring. That's, that's why we play the game. So, and that's to me, that's how we get judged off as, as a quarterback. So Stetson's done it better than anyone else. He's done it better than me. He's done it better than Fromm. He's done it better than Stafford and Greeny and shock and Zyre and, and Buck and everyone else. So uh, yeah, I think he he's at that point. Now I think the conversation is going to become when Georgia wins, because I'm going to continue to speak it into existence. I, yeah, when I Georgia wins, uh, where does he rank in all-time greats? Do you now put him into like a top three or four when it comes to just great Georgia players of like the the Herschels and the Garrisons and the Heinz Ward Wards, like guys like that? That is now the conversation that we're going to talk to, you know, talk about Setson Bennett. 
What about the program as a whole? I mean, it's obviously probably since you started watching, certainly since I've started watching, it's one of the one one of the elite programs. And I think, you know, if I speak it into existence as well, if if and you know, I, I don't want to, you know, jinx it, but when they win on on Monday, you know, you're talking about back-to-back national championships, um, three title game appearances in however many years, however many SEC t- I mean. And I think the stat that I looked up was outside of the COVID year, which was a weird year, whatever. But I think Mm -hmm. Georgia hasn't lost more than one regular season game since like 2017 or something. So the only point I'm trying to get to is how crazy is it? It was always a great program. Nobody questioned it. But I mean, we start having a different conversation about Georgia being now officially at the top of the mountain uh, with, frankly, probably no peers, maybe one other in Tuscaloosa, uh, obviously, if they get that win on Monday. Well, I think they, they, I think they're already at the top of the mountain. Yeah, if you I ask agree. most players and coaches, they would say like Georgia has, has surpassed Alabama as kind of like the, the, the most feared team in college football. And, you know, listen, I, I was on the call for Alabama, Kansas state and, 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 and talked to, to Nick for a while, Saban before the game. And, you know, and obviously you see what they did when it comes to recruiting this year, like they will still be a, a, a tremendous team and, and have an opportunity to win one one more championship before he decides to call it quits, if not more than that. But I just think when you look at Georgia, you look at Kirby, his age, the way they're recruiting, you know, they got top facilities, incredible NIL opportunities, academic wise, top three academic team in the SEC, proximity to Atlanta. I would say the best college town in the SEC, maybe one of the best college towns in, in all of, of all of the United States. There's a lot going right. And, and, and they've just been a sleeping giant just waiting to get a guy like Kirby to, to put him over the top to win a national championship. So, yeah, I think to me, I believe that we're, we're, we're at the early stages of this dynasty. And I've talked to people and said, no, 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 you can't say that they're in a dynasty just yet. You know, we will grant you that if, and when they win a second national championship. So I think they're in it. And I think for a lot of people, they will probably start saying that we are in the Georgia dynasty Come you know Monday night at eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, whatever time zone you're in, uh, when they do you know beat TCU for for back to back national championships. And honestly, too, you look at the roster for next year. I think they're going to be heavy favorites to win it next year. They, it's mm-hmm. a young defense that you know. I know you lose like Chris Smith and Jalen and, and and possibly Keeley on the outside, but you return a lot of talent that was young. You return the most of the guys on the offense. I think Carson Beck is going to be an absolute stud at quarterback. You got AD back, McConkie back, Bowers back, running backs back. Um, two top transfers from Ra Ra Thompson yeah. and a kid from Missouri. It's going to be a hell of a football team next year. I mean, they will be the favorites, especially with their schedule, to possibly three P. I was going to say, so you're already talking the 2024 title in you know whatever city it's yeah. already speaking that one into existence. Real quick, Kirby, like what is it? besides all the things you mentioned, we know that there's facilities and access to players and stuff, but it feels as though Kirby's kind of the one guy right now that feels like he's navigating every element of this new mm-hmm. world of college football. Don't see a huge number of turno uh, of transfers and obviously winning helps, but don't see a huge number of transfers still producing NFL players winning at a high level. You don't hear of locker room turmoil. At least I haven't uh, uh, with the NIL stuff. What is it about him that in this crazy world where coaches are being pulled in a million different directions, that it seems like he's able to keep those blinders on for all 85 guys in the locker room? Well, because it goes back to what I talked about with, with what you get as a player, like you get everything. Like some schools may have 
maybe a good NIL opportunity, but you're not winning championships. You know, maybe some schools you're, you're winning championships, but maybe you're not getting as much money unless you're a top guy when it comes to NIL. I think Georgia hits a lot of those things that kids are looking for nowadays. You know, when I was coming out, you know, it was like, okay, where can I get developed? Where can I win a championship? And what, you know, what, what university can, can help me get ready for, you know, an opportunity to play in the NFL. And that's still a concern for kids and, and parents, but I do think that that a major question is NIL. And I think Georgia has done a good job in that category as well. So they kind of check off a lot of boxes and then you know, the culture in which, which Kirby creates, which is very similar to like Alabama is, is, is a, a sense of competition every day of the week. And, and when you get enough four and five star guys, and yes, like some of them will be bust, but if you get enough of them, a lot of them will pan out to be pretty darn good. When they get after it, they get after it. Like Monday through Friday, whether it's in spring or summer or fall camp, or even during the season, is a battle for your life. It is a battle for your position and your opportunity to be a starting whatever quarterback, DB, offensive line, defensive line at the University of Georgia. So uh, the way he runs practice is so much fun to watch. And, and it just translates to, to, you know, guys being mentally and physically ready to go come Saturday. So it's a full package. And I think the intensity in which Kirby, you know, practices, communicates with his players is, is some of the best I've ever seen. Real quick NFL question. So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you played for Andy Reid. Uh, uh, what makes him, because I, I, when I was going through Wikipedia, I, I, I don't mean to gloss over your NFL career because we're obviously talking college, but I saw that and you obviously, you get to cover a great coach. You played for a great coach in Mark Richton. You played for a great coach in the NFL. Andy Reid, uh, you know, maybe the best right now in the NFL. What, what stood out about your time with him? He's a man. He's hilarious too. Like it was so funny because like my family's from Syracuse, New York. So okay. Donovan McNabb was my favorite quarterback growing up. So sure. you know it's funny. I, I watched a lot of Eagles games and, and would always see Coach Reed on the sideline and big guy, the mustache, and you know always like kind of looked like he was you know somewhat ticked off. So you know loved him and loved the offense and obviously loved McNabb and. You know, then all of a sudden I get the call from Kansas City and then that first meeting with him. And, you know, I'm expecting like this grumpy man who um, just all focused on football. But he's he's so funny, like in meetings, interacting with him. Uh, so that's his personality, which you may not notice if, if, if you just kind of sit back from afar. Uh, so that's the first thing. So he's he's a great players coach. And then two, he's just an offensive genius. I mean, just every day, like every morning we'd get into meetings. And he would show up in the meeting with like, like notebook paper or napkins of like, if he was at like breakfast or waking up and he would just jot down ideas of plays or formations or concepts or things that he thought would work in that week's game. And you're just like, man, like this dude literally eats, sleeps and breathes football. And, and the, the, the ideas that he would come up with the formations, the way to get, you know, Kelsey matched up with, with, with in certain ways to see the ways to get some of the receivers matched up like Tyreek uh, in certain ways was just like, wow. Like I never thought about football that way. I, like I came from, you know, a, an offense, you know, growing up and a lot of offenses before where it was just so static. It was two by two, it was three by one. It was I formation. And you know, your top receiver was the Z or he was the X and that was it. You know, Andy coach Reed was really the first guy that I saw move guys around in different ways to, to really stress a defense at out and um, learned a lot from him and, and really loved those, those couple of years I had with coach Reed. Fantastic. Last one. Uh, title game is obviously tonight. But so real quick for people watching on YouTube right behind you, they see the big twisted T um, uh, box there. And so I didn't know much about it, but hard T, which sounds like kind of uh -huh. right up my alley. 
uh, tell everybody, yeah, <laughs> chef's kiss for people who are listening. But uh, what, what is it? To, you're here with Twisted Tea. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, really excited about the partnership. Obviously, you know, being in Georgia, you got to like tea. It's part sure. of it's, part, it's, it's in your DNA. Yeah. And uh, now you get throw a little bit of 5% alcohol on there, uh, add some some more juice and excitement. So it's a great tailgating, you know, especially with you, know, you not being able to tailgate. If you mm-hmm. are out there on the West Coast before this game, uh, go get you some Twisted Tea, get in the hotel, go to some venue, have some fun. And then at Georgia, uh, they got some really cool, as you see behind me, if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, got limited edition Georgia Twisted Tea oh. Packs. So make sure you get that for your game day. I'm not going to Cali. I'll be here in Atlanta. So oh. I'll be drinking them. I got a couple packs ready to go for Monday night. Uh, but if you do want to drink it and you're not here in the state of Georgia, obviously you can get it anywhere and, and get ready for a fun night on Monday night. I will be there Monday. And I will say people do actually love college football out here. But when you don't allow tailgating in the national, I mean, it really plays into every. Well, I guess cliche. it's not the California law. No, like, it's I, for, yeah, it's yeah, it's more the college football. Is it? Is it the college? So it has nothing to do with the stadium. Okay, because I've been to an NFL what, game there. I, I, I've, I've obviously initially everything I was hearing was it's California oh, yeah. and it's the stadium. Okay, but then I had some articles from um, some credible sources. Who was it? Bruce Feldman. Uh, I think I tweeted something yesterday from. Uh, the the governor of Georgia can't put something out there, and I retweeted it. So he Feldman sent me a DM. He's like, "Just FYI, this is the real reason why." And I think it's just actually you know rules set up by college football mm. um, about tailgating. So we blame the NCA for everything else. We'll just blame. We'll just throw this one on the blame here. All right, Aaron Murray, Georgia legend, uh, Twisted Tea, grab some. And apparently there's special limited edition Georgia's Twisted Tea in the state of Georgia. Man, I know you're busy, and obviously your dogs are playing tonight. Uh, thank you for the time, man. That's all I really got. And uh, go dogs. Do you do the bark at the end or no? There we go. I, I've, right. I've worked on it. I've gotten pretty good at it. So go dogs. Go dogs. Aaron Murray on behalf of Twisted Tea. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, First of all, thank you, Aaron Murray. I had a lot of fun talking to Aaron about this game tonight. Georgia TCU. Obviously, we will have full reaction. We'll do a Tuesday episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I will do it from somewhere at or around SoFi Stadium after the game. But we will have reaction on Tuesday. But thank you again to Aaron Murray. Uh, former Georgia Bulldog, taking a few minutes to talk to us about tonight's title game. 
With that said, though, I do want to switch gears, and I do want to talk a little college hoops to wrap the show. It's starting to get to be that time of the calendar year. College hoops, college football will be done after tonight. The NFL playoffs start, and so we're starting to inch closer to the college hoops games that matter. Now, I'll say this weekend, I felt like there weren't a ton of super-duper marquee games. I do think that's by design from college basketball. I think they're smart enough to know on these Saturdays where we're going to get NFL games, people probably won't be plugged into college basketball too much. On top of that, obviously, Sundays, you try to limit the games that you play. So I think we're still another two or three weeks from like crazy, crazy college basketball Saturdays and Sundays. But there were a couple results from Saturday and a little bit into Sunday that I do want to talk about. Uh, We'll get to Indiana losing again in a minute. UConn picking up a nice win. Arizona losing to Washington State. What does that mean? We'll talk about all those very briefly. But where I want to start is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, baby. As Alabama laid the smackdown on Kentucky. The final score, a lot to a little. Kentucky, another just complete disaster on Saturday. And what I want to do in this segment is, and I'm going to, I'm going to pull the Rod Tidwell, Jerry Maguire. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do in this segment. I think it'd be easy on a day like today to yell and scream and Kentucky stinks and what's wrong with them. And they're terrible and fire John Calipari and this and that. What I will say, if you stay till the end of the segment, I will tell you this. We are going to talk about Kentucky from the John Calipari perspective. I called a couple people in the know about a Texas opportunity. I think Coach Cal would listen. So we'll talk about that to end this segment after we talk about these games. But rather than just tearing apart Kentucky for another time after we've done it time and time again this year, I instead want to actually spend a little bit of time talking about Alabama because Alabama dominated this game. Alabama and Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology coming into the weekend actually had a number one seed in his bracketology. Remember, they have already beaten Two teams that were ranked number one in the country at the time that they played them. They already beat North Carolina. They already beat Houston at Houston. They beat a good Memphis team at home. They opened on the road with a strong showing against a good Mississippi State team on the road to, again, open SEC play. And so I bring it all up because here's my question. In a season where there is no great, there is no super obvious best team in college basketball, my question for you, Is it possible that the Alabama Crimson Tide are the best team in college basketball? I know some of you are saying, Torres, you're crazy. You're overreacting to Kentucky. Let's talk about it. And really where I want to start is, again, I'm going to pull the rod tidwell. I'm not going to do what you all think I'm going to do. And what I would tell you is this, is that behind the scenes right now, on top of this podcast, on top of all the things we do at AT Media, I am working on kind of a pretty big college hoops project that I hopefully will have some more details on in the coming weeks and months into March. But why I bring it up is this, is that in the course of starting that project, I'm doing a lot of research on a lot of teams, looking at a lot of just different numbers and data on all of these teams. What makes them good? What makes them bad? Not just Alabama, but you know Texas, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, whatever. So I'm starting this project. And as I really started it this past week, something really struck me. And I wish I had tweeted it because I would have looked really smart on Saturday. But it's that I think Alabama might actually be legitimately the most, certainly the most complete team in college basketball. I think that UConn's probably in the conversation. UConn did beat Alabama earlier this year. But I think they're certainly, at the very least, a much more complete team than people give them credit for, right? Because when you think about Alabama, 
You think about Nate Oates, you think about the former high school math teacher, and you think about all the stuff that you've heard about their offense. All they do is shoot threes or layups at the rim. And that's pretty much exactly true. I think they took one mid-range jumper on Saturday, and the offense is, again, fantastic. Last year, Alabama took a little bit of a step back. This year, they're very good, averaging 85 points per game, top 10 nationally, shooting the three ball well at about 35%. What I don't think people realize, though, is that the offense is far from the only thing that is making Alabama an elite team this year. And so, again, in the course of doing this project, here are some stats for you on Alabama. Do you know Alabama, on top of having an offense that scores on average in the top 10 nationally, they're also top 10 in the country in field goal percentage defense. They're also number 10 in the country in two-point defense, meaning specifically uh, shots within the three-point arc, specifically shots at the rim. They rank 11th nationally in block shots, and they rank 15th nationally in rebounding. So if all they did was score a bunch of points, they'd still probably be a really good team. But when you take a team that is not only averaging in the top 10 nationally in scoring, but they're also in the top 10 nationally in field goal percentage defense. They're also in the top 15 nationally in blocks per game. They're also in the top 15 nationally in rebounding. And oh, by the way, they're in the top 10 again in two point defense. I'm just going to ask you a question. If you can score a lot, if you can keep the other team from getting high percentage shots, if you protect the rim and rebound, like what part of basketball is Alabama not good at? And so a couple things stand out about all these stats. It'd be one thing if you played nobody in the preseason or in the pre-conference play. Alabama's played a, Alabama's probably played the toughest schedule in college basketball. They went to the PK-85. They played UConn. They played North Carolina. They played Michigan State. Oh, by the way, they get back from the PK-85. That's where it's going to get lighter, right? Uh, no, they played Gonzaga on a neutral court in the state of Alabama. They played at Houston. They played Memphis at home. Those are three NCAA tournament teams right there on top of the three NCAA tournament teams that they played in Portland. And they opened SEC play against a good Mississippi State team that they just throttled at Mississippi State. And so I'm telling you, Alabama is putting up top 10 stats in basically every category that matters against what I would argue is the toughest schedule in college basketball. Here's what makes it even more impressive, though. Most of their best players are freshmen. Brandon Miller, five-star guy. I think he's going to be the number two pick in the draft behind Victor Wenbanyama. Noah Clowney has been unbelievable, kind of an under-the-radar uh, guy that, that really Alabama kind of discovered out of nowhere. I believe he was playing, they call it an unaffiliated grassroots team, which basically means it wasn't a Nike Under Armour or Adidas team in high school, and also, Jaden Bradley's really good, too. Their second-leading scorer is a transfer. Their fifth-leading scorer, Namari Burnett, is currently injured right now. So we have five guys. Their five-leading scorers didn't play for the team last year, and three of the top five are freshmen. It speaks to, I think this is one of the great stories in college basketball. Toughest schedule in the country, bunch of freshmen and transfers, and they have been awesome. Now, look, there's a lot of time left in the season. It won't get any easier this week because I did not know this until the last couple days, but they actually go to Bud Walton Arena on Wednesday night. Circle your calendar, Alabama at Arkansas on Wednesday. Then they have a good LSU team. Then they play at Missouri. They play at Oklahoma in the Big 12 ACC SEC Challenge. So I bring it up because there's a lot of basketball left. 
and teams can peak too early. But here's my question. In a year where there's no great teams in college basketball, tell me why we can't even make the argument that Alabama might be the best team in college basketball. Okay, Because think about the rest of college basketball. Purdue, last week, lost at home to a good Rutgers team, but they lost and easily could have lost to Ohio State a few days later. They hit a three essentially at the buzzer to win the game. Purdue easily could have gone 0-2 last week. This week, UConn, really good team. Love UConn. Went to UConn. You guys and girls know that. Lost their first two games. uh, Lost two games in a row coming into Saturday against a good Creighton team. Now, to UConn's credit, they did win against Creighton. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But lost to Xavier. Lost at Providence. UConn's really good. I don't think they're playing as well as they were in November. Arizona just lost to Washington State at home. So you start to go, oh, by the way, Houston, Alabama won at Houston. So I only bring it up to say in a sport where there are no teams that are totally separating themselves from the pack, is it time to talk about Alabama as the number one team in college basketball? I'll be honest. I actually kind of think that it is. All right, let's get to some other college hoops news and notes again. We'll talk some Calipari. We'll talk about some Kentucky later. I'm not going to go through the Kentucky game. They are not very good right now. The offense is not very good. I think their biggest issue is toughness. Uh, The second they get punched in the mouth, they fold. Remember, on Saturday, they were down five with one minute to go in the first half, gave up a couple big plays, and came out unprepared in the second half. So I'm not going to talk about Kentucky. I do have some thoughts on Calipari to Texas. We'll discuss that momentarily. But just a couple odds and ends from the weekend. First of all, let me say this. I know a lot of people have followed my my tenuous up and down relationship with Mike F. and Woodson, Mike Woodson of Indiana. I actually feel bad for Indiana. So on on Sunday, they lost their second in a row, their fourth of five, and their fifth of seven. Indiana was a team that started the year seven and zero, beat North Carolina in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They are just three and five since then. And why I actually feel bad? One, I just feel bad for their fans. It's just got to be tough. It's not fun. But two, they've just dealt with a lot of injuries. You know, people are asking, what's wrong? Mike Woodson sucks, blah, blah, this and that. Well, here's the bottom line. Their starting point guard, Xavier Johnson, went out a few weeks ago. Um, and they actually have a really good freshman named Jalen Hood Shafino, who has actually stepped up and played pretty well in his absence. He actually had 33 points against Northwestern on Sunday. But you lose your starting point guard. You lose earlier this week your best, your second best low post player behind Trace Jackson Davis, a kid named Race Thompson, who's been around forever. He goes out with an injury against Iowa. And it's just, it's just one thing after the other with this team and this program. So I'll be honest, I feel bad for Indiana. They lose again to Northwestern. Congrats to Northwestern. Northwestern, as I record here on Sunday and a Monday, sitting at 12 and 3 overall. Don't think they're a tournament team, but you never know. Life in the Big Big Ten, I guess. Life in the Big Ten as Indiana loses its third game in a row, or third, three and five in their last eight. And I do feel bad for Indiana. Really quickly, a couple other scores of note. UConn, as I said, they were on a two-game losing streak coming into this weekend. They played a Creighton team, which had gotten hot. And by the way, we didn't do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong this week. But I told you Creighton was going to turn things around. They had basically spent about five weeks on the road, went from Maui straight to Austin to play Texas, come back for one game, go to Vegas to play two more games. And so Creighton came into Saturday on a three-game winning streak, and UConn took care of them at home, final score 69-60. to UConn snaps a two-game winning streak. I think the thing that stood out to me 
Um, and our Torres on the Yukon account said this. Torres on Yukon, excuse me, said this. Uh, UConn's All-American center, Adama Sonogo. I've been somewhat critical of him. I think he's probably been a little bit overrated in my mind. I think guys like Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, guards, wings are more important to UConn's success. But I only bring it up to say this. Adama Sonogo played basically the best game that I think he's ever probably played as a UConn Husky, especially relative to competition. It's one thing to put up 33-14 and 14, uh, against Navy. It's another thing in a Big East game, in a showdown, by the way, between the, the two players that were one and two in the preseason Big East voting, Adama Sonogo had the upper hand against Ryan Kalkbrenner, who finished in second in that voting behind him. Adama Sonogo finishes the game 26 points, 10 of 20 from the field, two of five from three. If he starts hitting threes, that adds a whole new element to UConn, nine rebounds, one block. As I said, 26, nine and one. Thought it was the best game that he has played as a UConn Husky, and they needed it. Remember, they're playing again. A good Creighton team. A Creighton team, oh, by the way, uh, that uh, that uh, was on a three-game winning streak that needed this game. I like Creighton, but UConn gets the victory. Finally, kind of in other news and notes, we'll, we'll kind of pair these two together. We'll stay in the Big East really quick. You know, Xavier's looking awfully good, man. We haven't talked a ton about Xavier, but Xavier beat UConn a few weeks ago. I really like this Xavier team. They are now, as I record here, on a nine-game win streak, one at Villanova. Villanova might be time to just write them off. It just, you know, we might have to evaluate the post-Jay Wright era after this year because um, Villanova's just not very good. They've dealt with injuries, this and that. But I've said this about Xavier. They're elite offensively, which is not how you think of Sean Miller uh, coach teams. But elite offensively, 88 points on Saturday, 22 assists on 31 made field goals. And what I like about them, they have seven guys who all play big minutes, clearly defined roles. They all fit well together. Xavier, quietly one of the hottest teams in college basketball. And I'll tell you this. I told you about this little mini project I started. When I started this, and this is shame on me, and it's easy for me to say this in hindsight, so you guys and girls will probably make fun of me. There were two teams that stood out that I was like, I think they're probably better than people are giving them credit for. Xavier was one, and Alabama was the other. Should have put out a tweet or something like that. I didn't. I am an idiot. Lastly, on the opposite of Xavier, Sean Miller has it rolling at Xavier. Arizona lost to Washington State on Saturday. And I'll be honest, I'm not totally worried about Arizona just yet. Uh, I, I think Arizona is still in line to get that number one seed. Really good out of conference resume. Includes that win at home against Tennessee. Also includes a win against Indiana. Uh, beat Creighton and San Diego State and Maui. So they're still good to go. But there's just something not quite right about Arizona right now. Tommy Lloyd actually said probably about two, three weeks ago, he said, I don't care for winning. I don't like how we're playing. They get a loss. I actually saw them against Washington on late Thursday night. It was kind of the same kind of had all night to put them away and they couldn't. So Arizona loses to Washington state. Not worried yet. UCLA, by the way, is really good. They only played on Thursday night against USC, but UCLA is really good. I think it's still UCLA and Arizona in the pac 12. Tell you the pac 12 is kind of interesting though. Arizona State's better than expected. Utah under Craig Smith, better than expected. Uh, but Arizona loses. Obviously, they will have a chance to bounce back. They'll head back on the road next weekend when Pac-12 play resumes. 
but a weird loss for Arizona, uh, a team that I think is good enough to win it all. But they really, honestly, they're kind of they haven't been great the last few weeks. They they were up big on Arizona State at one point last Saturday, had to kind of hold on for victory, barely beat Washington, lose to Washington State. They will travel to the Oregon schools the next time they take the court, 11 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday. So stay up late for that. All right, one last basketball topic before we do get out of here. Uh, it's a doozy, I'll tell you that much. But obviously, look, we we led the segment talking a little bit about that Bama-Kentucky game. Uh, and we largely talked about it from the, the Bama perspective, I think for two kind of completely different reasons. One, Bama's really, really, really good. I want to give them their credit. I want to throw rose petals at their feet because I think they're a really good basketball team this year. And I think they're a team that's good enough to be playing in Houston uh, to compete for a national championship on the final week of the season. At the same time, the other reason we really didn't talk all that much about the Kentucky element of things is because, let's be honest, there is nothing new to talk about with Kentucky. The offense isn't very good. They struggle away from Rupp Arena. There's just not that much new or exciting to discuss when it comes with this team. But as kind of Saturday wore on and as, um, you know, just just the, the whole day unfolded post Kentucky, Alabama, there was one angle on Kentucky basketball that I do think is worth discussing. And it's something that I actually largely probably should have brought up on Friday's show, but I mostly glossed over. So let's get into it. That topic, well, it really, it's a Kentucky topic, but it's also a Texas topic, a topic that starts in Austin, Texas, because on Friday's show, we obviously talked about the firing of Chris Beard by the University of Texas. We don't need to go through, again, all of the elements there. You can go back and listen to that show if you missed it on Friday. At the same time, though, on Friday's show, I did a big segment on candidates and who I thought was realistic for that job. And I threw out a bunch of names. I threw out Scott Drew, Brad Underwood, maybe Nate Oates, if you're willing to pay that buyout, Eric Musselman, if Hunter Yurchek doesn't smartly get him a contract extension on the table on the desk right now. So I kind of listed a bunch of candidates. But the one guy that I really kind of just glossed over was John Calipari. I mean, yes, I had kind of sort of heard, should he be a candidate? I told you my buddy Nick Coffey, who hosts radio in Louisville, kind of asked me on his show in passing, hey, you think Cal would actually listen to Texas based on what's going on with Kentucky? And as I said, I, I, I kind of dismissed not only Nick, but I kind of dismissed it on Friday's show. Well, a couple things have happened since then that I think is probably worth revisiting this Calipari to Texas. Is there anything to these rumors, this story? One, after I finished doing the show on Friday, uh, you know, I kind of just searched, you know, other names. Did I miss anybody in this conversation? And I will say multiple lists did include John Calipari. Now, I don't agree with some of the people that put him on this list, but his name is at least being floated out there. I would add on top of that, um, that after the Alabama game, I saw a lot of te uh, uh, Kentucky fans tweeting, uh, you know, at the University of Texas, at the Texas AD, hey, take John Calipari off our hands. So what I did on Saturday afternoon into Sunday, I got on the phone with a couple people who I know are very close to John Calipari. I talked to two people that are close to Coach Cal uh, to kind of gauge, like, do you think this is something that needs to be kind of looked into a little bit more? Um and what I would say is I think it's absolutely worthy of a topic of conversation here. And what I would absolutely say is there's definitely more legs to it, probably than I gave it credit for on Friday. And so let's get into it. Let's break it down. Because as I said, I talked to a couple people that kind of know Coach Cal. 
And what I would say after speaking to them, some, two, a couple things stand out. One, I absolutely think if Chris Del Conte, the Texas AD, calls John Calipari, I absolutely think he's picking up zero doubt about it and he's listening to what Chris Del Conte has to say. On top of that, I think if Chris Del Conte says the right things, I think if Chris Del Conte offers the job, I think if the money is right and the facilities and resources and the vision is aligned with something that John Calipari is interested in, I don't think it's crazy that if Texas offered John Calipari the job, that he would accept it. And so a lot of people are probably sitting there saying, maybe you're not a Kentucky fan. Why would Coach Cal leave Kentucky? Which you can like Kentucky, you can hate Kentucky, you can this, you can that. Why would he leave for Texas? Texas is in a better job than Kentucky. But what Texas does have is what we talked about on Friday's show. They have literally the facility, the, 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 the financial resources to compete with anybody in college basketball. It doesn't mean that they'll have the history of Kentucky or the legacy of North Carolina or the championships of Kansas. But it's ironic. I remember talking about this when Chris Beard took the Texas job. People said, why would you leave Texas Tech for Texas, even if it's your alma mater? And I said, I think it's because Chris Beard believes that he can turn Texas into the next Kentucky, into the next North Carolina, where 50 years from now, we're maybe talking about Texas in the same way that we talk about Carolina, uh, Kansas, Kentucky, UCLA, whatever. Obviously, we will never see if that vision takes takes place. But the bottom line remains, everything that you need to win at the highest level is available at Texas. Keep in mind, from a facilities perspective, what was the big dust up in the in the summertime? What was the big complaint from John Calipari? Oh, we need a new basketball facility. We're a basketball school, not a football school. Remember, that started a whole firestorm and a week's worth of headlines. We're a basketball school, not a football school. Well, guess who's currently building a brand new state-of-the-art basketball facility right on campus? The University of Texas is no frills. I know that the Kentucky Wildcat Lodge is fantastic, so I'm not saying that Kentucky's facilities are in the Stone Age. But you talk about new, you talk about investment, you talk about the things that John Calipari wants from Kentucky. Texas is currently doing that. Oh, by the way, they just opened the brand new Moody Center, their on-campus basketball arena. On top of all that, it's what we discussed on Friday's show. The finances, the money, the resources, the uh, you know pr- everything that you need to compete at the highest level. Oh, by the way, where has John Calipari's main recruiting ground been over the last decade? I would argue it's been a little bit in New York, New Jersey with guys like Carl Anthony Towns, Isaiah Briscoe, whoever, but it's been mostly Texas. Think about Texas. Cason Wallace on this year's team, Tyrese Maxey in the NBA, Julius Randle in the NBA, Aaron Harrison, Andrew Harrison in the NBA, went after Cade Cunningham, went after RJ Hampton. All those players are in Texas. You're at the state school, the University of Texas. You got a good chance to land them. So it would take the right offer, but again, Everything is needed at Texas to win, and that's why I think John Calipari would listen. And then, oh, by the way, the other reason I think he would listen, and this is important, Kentucky fans, and I love you. You guys have been great to me, just like you've been great to Coach Cal for most of his tenure. You're still pretty much good to me, not so much uh, to to Coach Cal, and I don't blame you. Um, But the other reason I think Coach Cal would consider it is probably the reason that you know what I'm getting to. He knows what everybody's saying about him. And the one thing you can say about Coach Cal, the one thing you cannot deny, this is a man... He is, a, he is a man that is not afraid to hold a grudge, right? He is a man that is not afraid to say exactly what's on his mind at any given moment, uh, but he's also a guy that keeps tabs and keeps a list in his head of what has been said about him. And so he's very aware of what Kentucky fans have said about him. Now, I, I don't want to kind of alter the conversation 
because I think like any marriage, there's been some ups and some downs, and there's been a lot of good between both sides, the Kentucky fan base and Calipari. Even dating back to the summer, you think about the the flood relief, uh, you know, the Gonzaga announcement. There's all been a lot of positivity, but obviously during the season, coming off last year in the first round NCAA tournament exit to St. Peter's, there has been a ton of negativity. And again, fans, I don't blame you. You're holding your program to an insanely high standard. I don't blame you one bit. But John Calipari knows it, and that's part of the reason why he would leave. I also think, by the way, if an NBA team offered him the right money, the right job, the right opportunity, I think he'd consider the NBA as well. But I want to stick with Texas right now. I want to focus on Texas. Because what I would also say about the John Calipari situation at Texas, would John Calipari be interested in Texas? I think that's correct. The problem is, I talked to, again, two people who know Calipari. I think a lot of people might be asking the wrong question. I don't think the question is, would John Calipari be interested in Texas? I think the bigger question is, would Texas actually be interested in John Calipari? And that one, I'm not totally sold on. Because here's the bottom line. Here's what you need to know about the University of Texas. Here's what you need to know about the beautiful city of Austin. And this is going to sound crazy. This is going to blow your mind, but it's the truth. They have cable television in Austin, and they have the internet in Austin. And they have watched Kentucky basketball over the last couple of years, certainly this year. And they certainly know what is being said about John Calipari right now. And so when you think about Texas and you think about all that they can offer a coach and you think about some of the guys that could potentially be interested, the names that I just mentioned, Scott Drew, Brad Underwood, Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, I, you know, you other guys, Jerome Tang, Dennis Gates. I don't know who's on that list, but I bring it up because... You mean to tell me right now that that Coach Cal, with all due respect, I understand he's a Hall of Famer. I understand he's an all-time great. Is he a better candidate right now than Nate Oates? Is he a better candidate right now than Eric Musselman? Is he a better candidate right now than Scott Drew, who just won a national championship less than two years ago? I don't think so. And so, again, I think that's part of the, the intriguing part about this from the Calipari, Texas perspective is I think Calipari would absolutely listen. I don't know that Texas is going to call him. And I had somebody bring up something interesting that I think is worth sharing. A lot of people want to compare this situation right now. Could Cal actually leave for Texas to what happened a few years ago in 2019 with UCLA? If you remember, UCLA fired Steve Alford in December, right around the new year, I believe. And they basically spent three, four months vetting candidates. And it became clear that John Calipari was their number one guy. I don't know the exact number, but I mean, they offered a lot of money for him to come be the face of that program. And I talked about it at the time. I think he did seriously maybe consider it a little bit, but that was when he decided to come back to Kentucky. And that was where he essentially signed what, what amounts to be the lifetime contract that you hear about every single time Kentucky loses. Why I bring it up though, I had somebody bring this up. I thought it was interesting. They said, everybody wants to compare this to Texas. You can't really or compare UCLA to Texas for this reason. This ain't the same Kentucky program in 2023 that it was in 2019 when UCLA came hard after Calipari, which they did, which we know that they did. In 2019, when John Calipari officially turned down that job at UCLA, Kentucky was coming off a season in which they were a player two away from making the Final Four in 2019. That was the year they lost to Auburn, Bruce Pearl, Elite Eight uh, in overtime. And I don't need, we don't need to, I don't even remember a lot of that game, but they lost in overtime. They could have gone to the final four. 
The year before that, Sweet 16. The year before that, 2017, made an Elite Eight, lost basically at the buzzer to North Carolina. So when the UCLA job was open, we're talking about three years where Calipari was coming off back-to-back-to-back, second weekends of the tournament, and really 2017 and 2019, he was a play away from going to the Final Four, two plays away from going to the Final Four. Well, right now, today, this second, Kentucky might not even make the NCAA tournament this year. Now, to be clear, I think they're going to make it. They have a nice soft spot in their schedule coming up outside of a game at Tennessee this weekend, but really they should go about four and one in their next five games. And I think they'll start to pick up some momentum as we hit the middle to the end of SEC play. I think they're making the NCAA tournament. I I don't think it's a guarantee though, that they're making the NCAA tournament. And so that to me is the problem with the Texas situation, a season where you might not even make the tournament coming off a year where you lost to St. Peter's coming off a year before that in 2020, when you missed the 2021, when you missed the NCAA tournament, obviously 2020, there was no NCAA tournament played. And so you talk about a, a, a coach that is a Hall of Famer, that is an all time great, that could very well go into this offseason with zero NCAA tournament wins in four calendar years. It is 2023 as I speak to you. The last time Kentucky won an NCAA tournament game was 2019. And I know a tournament was canceled between now and then, but think about all of the programs that have won tournament games since then. You don't need me to go through all of them. But, uh, you know, off the top of my head, Loyola Chicago made a sweet 16. Uh, You know, I don't know. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, I I can't think of anybody. But the point is, a lot of teams have made the tournament. A lot of teams have won games in the tournament. And so I'm just not sold that even though he's a big name, he is a candidate that Texas is going to crawl over glass to get. And so I'll put a bow on this. I'll end it. We'll wrap the show on that. I think as we kind of continue to watch this Texas situation, one, Cal Perry, even if you're a Kentucky fan that wants Cal Perry out, you got to start winning games. But two, I think a lot of people might be asking the wrong question about this whole situation. To me, the question is not, does John Calipari want Texas? To me, the question is, would Texas actually want John Calipari? All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Before I get out of here, I want to remind everybody, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure also to subscribe to the YouTube channel, closing in on 20K, road to 20K. Let's get it done. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres, at Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, or on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions. If you have any questions for the show, that is all for today's show. I will say we will have a Tuesday show following the national championship game. I will be at SoFi stadium. The goal is to record there. Hopefully have something in your feed when you wake up on Tuesday morning. So a little bit of a different taping schedule this week. I suspect we'll probably go Monday, Tuesday, Maybe Thursday, Friday, maybe just Friday. We'll see. There's a lot that could happen, right? Jim Harbaugh could be gone by the end of this week. There's all sorts of stuff that could happen. So what I do know, we will have a Thursday, we will have a Tuesday show recapping the title game between Georgia and TCU. That is all for today's show. Thank you guys and girls for listening. By the way, thank you to Aaron Murray for making some time today, but it is time for me to go. That said, thank you for your support. Let's get out of here. Shout out to Torn Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I will be back on Tuesday, tomorrow, for sure. New episode, Aaron Torres Pop.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.